All right, so let me, uh, let me start us off with a word of prayer. Father, we, we come to you, our Heavenly Father. You invite us to pray. Jesus, you, uh, you have taught us to pray using this prayer. Um, and Spirit, you, uh, your word says that you're, you take our prayers and you bring them before the throne of God. And so now as we uh, take time to consider this last petition of the Lord's Prayer, please help us. Uh, to understand the nature of your power over, uh, over the evil one. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen. So we are at our last petition of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do one more sermon on prayer next week. Uh, we're going to pick up on one other aspect of prayer that's a part of this chunk of teaching of Jesus. Uh, every Sunday, there is lots of stuff that doesn't make it into the sermon. Uh, and this Sunday is no exception uh, so, uh, so this is not by any stretch of the imagination all that there is to say uh, this morning on the subject of uh, Satan. We're going to talk about Satan today. We're going to talk about trials and temptations. This is the tip of the iceberg, uh, but hopefully enough to get us moving in the right direction when it comes to prayer. So we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and as we've been doing that, uh, and as I was reflecting this past week on what we've done, it, it occurred to me in, in a new way, you know, Jesus is inviting us to pray. And in this prayer, what's happening is we have this sense of God is really providing for everything that we need. I mean, think about this. It starts off with, uh, with him telling us that he's our father, that he's king, that he's holy. And then from there, he moves into uh, talking about how our provision is going to be cared for. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we saw that daily bread is both spiritual and physical. And then we looked at the subject of forgiveness and how we need to see ourselves, first of all, as a forgiven people, and then how that works itself out in the way that we forgive others. And really, like that, that has a huge impact on relationships, uh, which we didn't even explore at great depth when we, were, uh, when we were together last week. And then today, we look at this last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here we see speaking to the trials that we have and to the reality of the spiritual realm. Uh, so this prayer is, is packed with things for us to glean and learn. So what we're going to do is the same thing we've done every time that we've looked at a petition. We're going to ask three questions. Uh, what does this teach us? Uh, how does this change our view of God? How does this change our view of us? Or how does it change us rather? And how does it change the way that we pray? So first of all, how, does, how is our view of God impacted by this petition? Well, first of all, there's this question, right? Lead us not into temptation. What's that about? Does God lead us into temptation? The answer is no, he does not. James 1.13 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, right? So whenever something is not clear in one part of scripture, we go to other parts of scripture in order to help us make sense of it. This is clearly saying God does not tempt us. So therefore, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, that doesn't mean that God is dangling sin in front of us and saying, come on, take a bite, take a bite, take a bite. So what does it mean? Well, this word that we have here, lead us not into temptation, appears a number of times. And if you have a, a Bible with you, 
uh, if there's a good chance that your Bible will have a little footnote on it that says uh, that temptation can also be translated as trial or test. Uh, so this particular word appears 21 times in the New Testament. Eight of those, it's generally translated as temptation. All of the others are translated in some version of a test or a trial. Uh, so what seems to be, uh, what, what folks who, you know, studied the Lord's Prayer, trying to understand how we, you know, square up, uh, God does not tempt us with the petition, lead us not to temptation, uh, is that probably the better way of understanding this is not temptation as an enticement towards sin. Uh, the devil does that. We'll see that in a second. Uh, but the father does not. But that the father does allow us to enter into times of trial and testing. Jesus's life was a life of trial and testing. We see in 1 Peter 4, First uh, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, that's that same word, as though something strange were happening to you. So how do we make sense of all of this? So it can't mean that we're being tempted to, towards sin. Uh, we know that tests will come because Scripture tells us that we will be tested and go through specific types of trials. There's something interesting and mysterious about the nature of those trials. Uh, we'll see that in a second where in, in, uh, in James 1, where it talks about uh, our union with Christ in those things. Um, the Lord does not tempt us. The Lord allows us, however, at times to go through specific seasons that are trials. And so what the prayer, I think, seems to be implying is this, Lord, keep us from from trials that will be so severe that they might lead us into moments where we'll be tempted to turn away from you. But here's the thing, right? We need the tests. We need the trials. James 1, 2 says this, consider pure joy. Get that. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, same word, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. So the Father's power is power that sees us through the trials and tests. But the Father's power is also power that protects us from the attacks of the evil one. That's the second part of this petition, protect us from the evil one. Uh, some versions of the Bible will just say evil. But again, if you look at the versions of the Bible, Scripture the, uh, that say evil, there's usually a footnote there also uh, that says evil one is another way that this could be translated. So um, we believe in Satan. We believe not only in Satan, but we believe in demons. We believe that there are demons here right now. We believe in the reality of the spiritual realm. Now, I say all of that, and I realize that for some of us, especially those of us who are still struggling with our understanding of who God is, maybe we aren't even yet at the point of faith in God, that the idea of Satan seems either like that's the stuff that we talk about in horror films, or that's the leftover of, you know, religious oppression, 
Uh, we reserve the, you know, the word devil for those who are really, really, really bad. You know, think of, of that book by Eric Larson. I think it's Eric Larson, Devil in the White City. It's a book about a serial murderer, right? That's when we reserve the word uh, devil for, but not in, in normal language. And the problem is that when we lose the terminology of Satan, uh, when we lose that idea that he is real, that that actually prevents us from having a really robust and full account of evil in the world. Uh, Christianity's accounting of evil in the world is really nuanced uh, and really helps us to understand what it is that we face. So on the one hand, Scripture says that evil is inside of us. We talked about this last week. We talked about sin, iniquity, and transgression, and kind of the full, you know, those words that all speak to different ways in which we are, um, we're tempted towards evil and, and we sin as a part of who we are. But sin, or evil rather, is also something that's outside of us. Uh, and it's personified in this being that God created. And his name is, you know, he's got several names, Satan, devil, the accuser, the tempter, Apollyon, uh, the father of lies. He's got all these different names that speak to different aspects of who he is. And, and, and one thing is undeniable, Jesus believed in the devil. If you look at Jesus's teaching, Jesus fights the devil uh, and Jesus uh, talks about the devil and he fights against the devil's demons. So where does the devil come from? The devil is created by God. He was created as an angel of light. He was created as a good guy. And we read about his fall in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Uh, and so God did not create the devil to be evil, but the devil rebelled against God. And in his rebellion became what we now refer to as Satan. Uh, Satan is powerful, but he is not all powerful like our heavenly father is all powerful. We say that our heavenly father, that God is omnipotent right? The, the devil knows a lot. He's been around for a long time. He's really smart, but he is not all-knowing. We say that our Heavenly Father is knowing. We say that all-knowing, we say that he is omniscient. Uh, the, the devil cannot be in multiple places at one time. His demons can be anywhere they want. Demons are probably here with us right now, All right, We believe in the spiritual realm. But Satan is not able to be everywhere like our father is able to be everywhere because our father is omnipresent and Satan is not. And so all of that is baked into this idea. When he says, protect us from the evil one. Our father is more powerful than the evil one. And so therefore he is able to protect us from him. That's who our father is. He and the devil are not equal to each other. They are just not, okay? So now, that's the first part. That's how it changes our view of God. Yahweh and the devil are not the same. They are not equal in power. They're not equal in knowledge. They're not equal in glory at all. Now, how does this change our view of us? How do we begin to think about who we are? So what is, uh, do y'all know what the, the name of the Lord's Prayer is in Spanish? Anybody? El Padre Nuestro. 
So in Spanish, the Lord's Prayer is referred to as the Our Father Prayer. At least when I was growing up, that's how we referred to the Lord's Prayer, El Padre Nuestro. The whole premise of this prayer is that Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, is your Father. That's why I've really intentionally, every sermon in this series has been the Father's glory, the Father's kingdom, the Father's forgiveness, the Father's provision, the Father's power. Because I'm trying to drive this point home for all of us. We are praying to our Father. Now, how is he our Father? He is our Father because Jesus has uh, died on the cross for our sins, and through faith, we are adopted into the family of God. Now, here's the thing. Jesus underwent tests and trials. Kids, what is one passage in Scripture, one story in the Bible, uh, happens very early on in the ministry of Jesus, very early on, where Jesus is being tested? You know the story? Adults help the kids out. In the wilderness, right? Right after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness. So Jesus is tested in the wilderness by Satan. Uh, Jesus is tested not just by Satan. He's also tested by the religious leaders. They demand a sign from him. Uh, Jesus is tested by the Pharisees. They're trying to trap him uh, with regards to his views on marriage and divorce. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is undergoing a, tri a, a trial, right? Father, let this cup pass from me, and yet not my will, but your will be done. And, and so here's something that I don't, I don't remember who said it, or I would quote them, but one of the folks that I was reading this past week as I was getting ready to, uh, to write the sermon said the, the, the reason that you and I can pray lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is because when Jesus prayed that prayer, the Father said no. When Jesus prayed in the garden, let this cup pass. I don't want to take this test. I don't want to do this. And yet he said, it's not about me. It's about what you are doing in the world. Not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus goes and he dies on the cross. Uh, and so what happens is that then we, uh, Jesus, you know, dies, he rises again from the grave. Uh, and, and when we put our faith in Jesus, what happens? God's spirit comes and dwells with us. Okay. So you, you've heard me say this before. Let me say it again, right? Who is the spirit of God? The spirit of God is the spirit that does what? He brings Jesus up from the dead. So the Spirit of God, who has resurrection power, life over death power, he is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. You got that? Now listen to this, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world. Who is the one in you if you will have faith in Christ? The one in you is the one who rose Jesus up from the dead. Now, what does it practically look like, right? It's these times of testing and trial. I'm going to, I recognize that times of testing and trial are much broader than just spiritual attack. 
but I'm going to narrow my focus on spiritual attack so that we can consider both aspects of, uh, of, this, of, these, of this petition, right? So um, you need to know how the other team works, right? This is like the sent, uh, all kind of, uh, you know, intelligence, right? You, you, you study how your, the country you're at war with works. Uh, even Ukraine right now, they're, they're doing intelligence on Russia. Uh, it, in, in sports, right? You do intelligence on the opposing team. You have to know how the other side works if you're going to be able to go up against them. It's no different with Satan. So how does he work? What are the normal ways in which he works? And this is one of those places where like, there's a lot more I could say, but I'm going to narrow it down to two things. First of all, Satan attacks us with temptation. Okay, Satan attacks us with temptation. Uh, very interesting. So kids, we, we referenced, we talked about uh, the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Notice the name that's given to Satan in Matthew 4.3. The tempter. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Satan's name, one of Satan's names is tempter. This is why then a little bit later in 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, Paul says this. He says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Little side note. So what is he afraid? He's afraid that the tempter will have come and destroyed the work that they had been doing. That's one of the other aspects of who Satan is that we're not going to look at. He destroys, right? He's a, uh, Peter talks about him being a roaring lion seeking to devour, right? Uh, so one way in which he works is that he tempts. Now, does God tempt us? No, right? James 1.13, God does not tempt us, but Satan absolutely will tempt you. So what do we do? Greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Hebrews 2.18 says this, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You, you hear that? Jesus was tempted for you. And he never gave in, right? So, so he endured. You know, like temptation works, right? You're like, there's that bowl of ice cream. Let's, let's do something simple. But there's that bowl of ice cream. And the longer you don't eat it, the like, more delicious it seems to be, right? Um, and, and that's a silly example, I know, right? But that's the nature of sin. The more you fight against it, the more enticing it becomes. And Jesus never gave in. And so he is able to help us when we are being tempted. That's the first thing. The second thing is Satan is an accuser. So this is fascinating. On the one hand, Satan will come to you and say, you know, do this, do this. He'll tempt you. He'll tempt you. He'll tempt you. It won't be that bad. It'll be okay. And then when we take the bait, when we, when we sin, he comes from the other side and he begins to accuse you. How could you? You call yourself a Christian? Do you think that God is going to forgive you after you did that? You got to, man, those people at that church, they're going to look at you so strange now that they, when they, once they find out that such and such happened. And he is relentless 
in his accusation. Zechariah 3.1, the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So here's this, here's one of the priests. He's standing before God and Satan is right there accusing him in the presence of God, right? And we know that that's not the only place that this happens because interestingly, in Revelation 12, uh, where Satan is called the accuser, we see this. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, uh, who leads the whole world astray. So side note, one of the other things that, this, that the devil does is he deceives us. Okay, we're not going to talk about that, but you see it here. He's leading the whole world astray. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, now have come salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Listen to this, who accuses them before our God day and night. He has been hurled down. So clear like imagery of our father's more powerful than the devil. But what I want you to see is the devil is constantly accusing you, lying to you, deceiving you, trying to rob you of every truth that the gospel has for you. He is relentless. He is evil. He is out for your destruction. Greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world. This uh, and so interestingly, uh, Romans 8, uh, uh, paraphrasing it here, uh, who will bring a charge against you? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn you? The devil can bring his accusations, but, but God has already spoken his good word over you through faith in Jesus Christ. You are adopted. Your sins are forgiven. There's no accusation that can be brought against you. So then... How does this affect the way that we pray? So we see, first of all, that our father's more powerful than the devil. Uh, And so we don't have to worry. He's going to win the victory. We just saw that in Revelation 12. We need to know him. And so this affects how we view ourselves because we can't believe the lies. We have to reject the accusations. We have to resist the temptations. And we're able to do that because greater is the one who's in us than the one who's in the world. So then how does this change the way that we pray? Let me offer you two ideas here. First of all, uh, we pray offensively, right? So let's go back to sports, right? You've got your offense and you've got your defense. Offense is scoring points and defense is stopping you from scoring points. So so the the analogy I want to draw for you is this, that we pray offensively in the sense that we go, we attack and then we pray defensively in the sense that we protect. So how do we pray offensively? Uh, two ways. One, we just did a little bit ago in the service, right? City prayers. You know, think, of the, think of the things that we're praying for in our city prayers. We're praying for homelessness. We are praying for human trafficking. We're praying for foster care. And we're praying for refugees. Those are four places where we see the utter brokenness of our world again and again and again, right? Uh, Why is it that there are refugees having to come to our country, right? Because there's war happening in the places where they live. 
why are, are, do we have, why is there homelessness? Why is there, why do we have to have a foster care system, right? Why are these things, why is there things, such a thing as human trafficking? Because there is evil in the world. And so we pray against those things. Right? The second way, a second way that I would encourage you that's very timely to the, to the particular time of year that we are in uh, is uh, it, it, on Friday, Ramadan started. Y'all know what Ramadan is? Ramadan is the, is the holy month of Islam. Uh, and so this is a time of year where many Muslims are much more sensitive to spiritual conversations uh, than, um, than they are at other points of the year. I, I could, there's so much that, that the Spirit of God is doing uh, in bringing uh, Muslims uh, to faith in Christ. Uh, and it, there's just, there's so much. One of the things that's been happening, I think for almost 30 years, uh, is called 30 Days of Prayer for the Muslim World, where, where during the month of Ramadan, Christians around the world uh, can download uh, that prayer guide and begin praying specifically that God would release uh, people from the bondage that is Islam. Islam is a false religion. It is an oppressive religion. Uh, and so we would pray for our brothers and sisters. And specifically, there are a few uh, Muslim believers that folks in our congregation through good neighbor teams are interacting with. So even if you don't download that thing, which I encourage you to do, but even if you don't download that, you can pray specifically for uh, the, the good neighbor team uh, that is working with, a, with, a, with some folks in South Park, and then the Guthries have a neighbor uh, up in their neck of the woods as well that they're interacting with. Like, like you've been praying for those things. That's offensive. Like, what about defensively? Folks, that's like the, prayer that, the prayers that we do all the time, right? When we pray in the service, and we are, we are um, you know, you notice something that we've been doing a little bit more of is we've been, we've been giving you written prayers to say. Like, that's not just because we couldn't come up with something better to do. Like, we believe that having written prayers is a way of teaching you certain things about prayer. Uh, and as you're learning those things, you're, you're like building up your capacity to withstand temptation and to, and to be rooted and established in who you are in Christ so that when the accusations come, you can say, no, that's a lie. That is not true. I am forgiven. The Father does love me, right? And so as we say these, these written prayers in the worship service, uh, we've been gathering together for prayer groups uh, throughout this series, right? When we, when we get together in those prayer groups, we have an opportunity to read scripture and immediately respond in prayer. And, and what I know has happened at least a couple of times in some of the groups is that we even have opportunity to pray for one another uh, in those groups as, as different things are going on. And then there's prayer in the home, right? Whether you're praying with a roommate or with your spouse or with your children and you are reading scripture and you're praying, what you're doing is we're, we're building up this reservoir of saying like, I'm, I am in the Lord. Prayer is this means that God gives us to remind us of who he is and what he has done and to strengthen our faith. And then there's the prayers that we pray individually, right? Whether it's those little prayers we pray during the day or whether it's those sustained times of prayer. All of that 
is the defensive prayer that we do so that when the enemy attacks, we are in a position to be able to stand the attacks. This is why we pray, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because the evil one is attacking you. He's doing it every day through his demons. There's so much more that we could say, but I want to end with this. The Father's power is greater than the power of the evil one. The Father's power will see you through trial and temptation and through uh, testing. And ultimately, he will win the day. And so when we pray, we pray with the knowledge that our Father's power is greater than the enemy's power. All right. Now, what we're going to do today, uh, again, I, I, I debated back and forth as we were, as I was thinking about how to respond to this last time that we're doing this, whether having you pray or uh, having something up, up, up here for you to pray. And I decided to go with us all praying something together because um, what I just said, I, I want us to get language to help us understand how to pray. And so I wrote this prayer to hopefully take some of the things I was saying in the sermon and drive them a little bit deeper into our hearts. So uh, let's pray together. And we're going to do the same model that we did last week, Abba, Father, King, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Abba, Father, you are all-powerful and all-knowing. There is nowhere in all creation where we can flee from your presence. Keep us from being deceived that the devil is your equal. King Jesus, you went through trials, tests, and temptations in order to save us from the power of the devil. You died and rose again to end his power over the nations. Help us to turn to you when we are tempted. Keep us from being deceived by his lies Protect us from being crushed by his accusations. Help us to know the ways our enemy works so that we are ready to stand firm against him. Holy Spirit, because you are with us, we can rest assured you are greater than the devil. Help us to pray. Protect us from the evil one. Amen.